Well, uh, last week we finished our study of First Peter, which we've been on since the beginning of the year, and leading up to uh, next week, um, um, and and then the following week, uh, Palm Sunday, and then Easter, is that uh, we had a few weeks, and I've been praying about what what to share this day uh, when we have what we in preacher world call a standalone, where it's not a part of a full series, and I. Something that the Lord's been laying on my heart is to talk a bit about change. Um, obviously, there's changes that are going on in uh, our lives as a, a church. I mean, we've voted to change a name, which is forthcoming, uh, the visible signs of that. We've had changes in staff. We uh, are potentially looking at a change in our denomination affiliation. But for each of us individually as well. I mean, we walk through change. Some of you in the last year have lost spouses, have lost loved ones close to you. Uh, this week, actually, we celebrated a birth. Actually, two births, same mama, twins, Sierra Baker and Tony Baker had their twins on Friday. They're doing well. So yes, absolutely, that's the celebration. But oh, are they going to go through some change, right? They've got one, now they've got three. Uh, so Josh and Amanda, uh, you will be uh, spending much time with them, I'm sure, uh, sharing with them uh, those changes. But think about it for a minute. Uh, in fact, Abigail Brenner, an MD, she says this, life happens and what happens is something called change. The reality is, is that we're constantly going through change. Yeah, we can look at seasons or certain changes that are just drastic. They're, they're very dramatic in a lot of ways. But sometimes changes are much smaller. And as we walk through those changes, even in relationships, changes of, of couples that are dating that turn into marriage, unfortunately marriages sometimes that don't work turn into divorces, which is a dramatic change, a death per se. But there's also physical changes. If you hadn't heard, I'm turning, I turned 48 today. And so because of that, yeah. Um, because of that, um, my body's not it was what was even at 45, and um, we go through that. But there's also really good changes. There's there's changes spiritually. I mean, God is in the change business, isn't He? Particularly when we get to points in our lives and we think that this is all that it's going to be. It could never be anything greater than this. God says, "No, I will deliver you from what you think what is." held you in bondage. We see changes in the season of the year. We love it this time of year, right? The spring, all the newness. We see changes in our jobs, sometimes relocation, sometimes in our community as businesses rise up, businesses close, on and on and on. Ecclesiastes 3 describes it like this, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. Change happens. And I think the most difficult thing about change, even in good change, is that much of it is outside of our control. I think there is a bit of a delusion that happens, particularly um, as we are young and less wise. We think we can manage and control a lot of the change in our lives. The reality is, is that much of it is out of our control. But what's not out of our control is how we respond to it. And that's really what I want us to look at today. 
Who is God in the midst of changes? Even changes that you would have said never would have happened. Or at least you're saying, I wasn't ready for it to happen yet. I knew it was coming, but I wasn't ready. Who are we in the midst of change? I think that what, that's what God wants us to ask today. Because in the midst of change, some of what we place our identity in begins to be reshaped. And we learn things in that. But I will tell you, as if you haven't already learned, we've all learned painfully at some point, perhaps, is that change is inevitable. We can't stop it. But we can process it. We can cope with it. We can learn to adapt to it as we look at our Creator. As we walk this walk as a Christian, knowing what our identity is. Because all that God wants to do in us and help us to become more like Jesus Christ, guess what? Change is at the very heart of it. So I want us to look at a passage today. We're actually going to go back to the New Testament into Exodus chapter 13. And there are multiple places where we could go in Scripture today that I think bring out some of the truths of what we're going to see about God and about us uh, that we're going to capture here in Exodus 13. So in the book of Exodus is basically the story of God releasing, delivering His people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt uh, into the promised land. And in that, there are all kinds of details that we won't talk about today, but to give us a little bit of context, for those of you not familiar with the story, is that this man named Moses, who actually um, was uh, an Israelite, who actually was um, uh, raised in the house of Pharaoh, who then walked away from that because he discovered his identity um, was not what he was being raised at. It, it rested in who God was. But yet he left Egypt. He became a shepherd. He, he married a woman. They had children. And in the midst of that, I think just probably when Moses was like, okay, I, this is a life I can do. I'm all right with it. He had this burning bush episode. I mean, that's like the big, big scene, right? This bush begins to burn, but doesn't burn up. And in the midst of that, God says to Moses, it's time for a change. Well, wait a minute. You don't know what you're asking, Moses. I I can't speak very well. You expect me to go back there, talk to this man in power who has has the potential to, to have me executed? And you want me to lead hundreds of thousands of people you got to be kidding me. You ever said that in the midst of change? God, really? By the way, I think it's okay to say that. I think, it's, I think God's big enough for every, every question we have for him. And so Moses finally surrendered and said, okay. He went back. Through a series of ten plagues that we read about, we see God doing a work. Preparing the people to leave. Now what's interesting about the plagues is often we look at plagues simply as a way God was trying to harden Pharaoh's heart and get the people out. God was doing more there. God was teaching his people about himself. In every one of those plagues, you see God revealing himself. It's important as 
what the Israelites are about to do. It's important as we understand God revealing himself to us as we walk through change. So finally, Pharaoh, with great reluctance, said, okay, fine, get out of here. I can't handle the flies and the frogs and you name it. So they begin to leave. We're going to pick up the story in verse 17 of chapter 13. I encourage you, if you're not familiar with other details, to go back and read the story. We become familiar with it, but there is a mighty work of God going on here. Verse 17 of chapter 13. When, the Pharaoh, let, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. They are undergoing change. A really, really big change. And I think what often happens in change, and I see the principle here, the truth here, is that we must remember that in any change, God knows us and knows the battles we face. Don't read too quickly the fact of what God said about the Israelites. What he said was, we can't go this route. They will change their minds, perhaps, because I know where they are. I know what they've gone through, so we're going to go this way. Sometimes God in your life, although you see, we see that this is the route, that God says, no, this needs to be the route, because I know you. Church, We have to understand that our God knows us better than we know ourselves. You are not the expert on you. God is. God is the expert on you. In this society where we all are masters of everything that we think we are, I'm not saying that we don't know. I'm not saying that we shouldn't learn about ourselves. But we need to understand where we go to learn more about ourselves. We go to the one who created us. Because the most minute of details, like this one, which seems somewhat flippant. All right, they're supposed to go this way. No, we're going to go this way. See, logic says, everybody says, if you're going from this place to this place, in this setting, this is the route. It'd be like taking off here and going to Oxford through Indiana. Now, you can do it. It's a little bit out of the way. Versus getting on 732 and taking it to Oxford. And often what we want to do in that is we say, Whoa, God, wait a minute. This doesn't make sense. You see, God is a God of, of order, not of chaos. But God does not often make sense to our minds. Which some people say, well, it's crazy. Why would you have faith in a God that doesn't make sense? Because God is greater. God is greater. We can't comprehend all the greatness that he is. Look at Psalm 8, 3, and 4. I'm going to share some verses with you today. And I pray that if nothing else you you leave this day with, is you have verses to go to in the midst of change and memorize, put on your heart to pray over so that you know the character of God. The psalmist says... 
in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? It's a rhetorical question. You would look at this and say, okay, God really doesn't have time, doesn't really care about all of our little details and issues and even joys in our life. And the reality is, is the psalmist is saying the exact opposite. I care that you don't feel well today. I know about that relationship you're struggling with. I know about the choice you have to make. And it's a choice not just about your integrity, but it's a choice about whether you will honor me or not. You see, God is concerned with every need, every longing, every concern, every fear, every joy, every, every, every part of our lives. He involves himself with humanity. God is not this being who, boom, created it all and now is sitting back as a, as a fan in the stands. No, God is continue at the work, continues at the work to draw himself to us. And part of the ways we remind ourselves of that is to look at the greatness of God and then to look at ourselves and realize how not great we are, yet God still says, I care about every little thing about you. It's interesting in Job, the book of Job in chapter 7, kind of the opposite approach to this. We know Job suffered immensely. Suffering that perhaps most of us will never understand in the body. And at one point he says to God, can you just leave me alone for a little bit? Can you just give me some space? You see, Job knew that God was so concerned about every part of who he was. And I will say that one of the reasons I think this is a message for us to hear is because I've watched people in the midst of change. And some who have watched, excuse me, who have followed and walked with the Lord for years have said, I just can't handle any more change and I'm done with God. I say, run to God. It will not be easy necessarily. But it is God, and as this verse says, it is the finger of God that is continually revealing His power to us. Continuing to exercise His rule and reign. Even the Pharaoh's magicians in Exodus 8 attributed the third plague to the finger of God. It is the finger of God that wrote the law on the stone tablets that we read about in Exodus 31. In the New Testament, Jesus cast out demons by the finger of God. We should be in all, church. In the midst of all the details of our lives and seeing the significance of what God maintains, sustains, provides, as he says, I care about you in the midst of that. He cares so much about us that he disciplines us. We've talked about that, right? It's not all cupcakes and balloons. It's very much sometimes the difficult work where God says, I know you and this is what I want to shape in you as you follow Jesus Christ.
Look with me at Luke 12, 7. This is Jesus speaking to the disciples and some others. And it's in the section where Jesus is talking about that God alone is who we should fear. Healthy fear. We should worship. We should honor. And he says, why even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Look at me, please. Your worth, your worth comes from your creator. I'm absolutely amazed at people, even people in church, who fail to live that. Somewhere along the way, we make decisions in relationships and even all kinds of other things. And we think we're kind of destined to that because, well, I kind of did that and it turned into that and that's just kind of my path. No, God is in the business of changing routes. God's in the business of taking what you thought you had made a mess of and probably did like myself. And he says, your worth and value are in me. So look at how I know the number of hairs on your head. So you might ask, so is it just that simple, taking a few verses and remembering how great God is? It's living that into our decisions each day. It's living like God is God and we are not. Because in those insecurities we face, because often in change, things are revealed. And one of the painful things in change that are revealed is that sometimes in things and in people and jobs, places we live, we tend to put them in a place of worship. I tell you, when that goes away, you're left standing wondering. There is one that will not abandon you. There is one whose character is the only thing that you can cling to in the midst of change, as joyful or as painful as it is. There is a myth, in fact, I, one of you last week came to me and was sharing me a bit of your story, and I, I'm sorry, I can't remember who it was, but in that, in that sharing with me, you, you were talking about what God was teaching you, which is a great question, by the way, to ask. And you said, Dan, I, there's this saying out there that God will not give you more than you can handle. And it was a woman, and she said to me, I don't believe it. And I said, good, because it's a lie. It's a lie. The lie, I think, rises up out of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, be very careful here because in, in one sense we're talking about uh, sinful decisions in temptation. But the reality is, is that God is in the business of saying, I want you to understand you're not God. And so I'm going to give you more stuff than you can handle so that you hopefully in that will make a choice to say, you know what, I should be obedient to God. Because God does know nothing is bigger, nothing is greater, nothing is more sustainable than God Almighty. And so because of that, we often think, well, if God loves me enough, I won't get too much. No, he's going to pour it on. 
And he's going to pour it on because he does love you so much. And he's going to pour it on so that there is a point in the midst of every change going on, you know that he knows. I don't know what relief that is for you, but I will tell you, there is an incredible burden that comes off of my shoulders. You mean I don't have to know it all, God? I kind of want to know it all, but I can't know it all, and I convince everybody each day that I don't know it all. Just ask the staff. Oh, let me count the ways, right, D? All right. Let's move on just a little bit. Move down just a little bit further. Verse 20. Verse 19 is significant, but it's not really our focus for today. Verse 20, after leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. This is what's called a theophany in the Old Testament. And it is, it is not just a representation of God. It is the presence of God right there to say, you will not go day or night. I provided for both. You will not move without me leading. What if that was our lives? That's what we, that's what we seek to do, I hope. As Christ followers, God leading us. We say that phrase a lot. Well, God leading me. So that turns into decisions every day. Decisions every day to say, I want to be more dependent on him. See, the, the Lord's teaching the Israelites how to follow him. It's not just, hey, give us a light so we don't run into things. No, this is... I want to teach you how to go when I say go, how to stop when I say stop, which may sound a bit like puppetry, but it's not because the people have a choice, right? And we'll read in a minute where they whine about that choice. But the reality is, is that God here is saying and training them, I want, to, I want you to learn to be more dependent on me. So in the midst of change, often what God is saying wants you to ask, God, what are you teaching me about what it means to follow you? That's hard. I, I do not want to make light of it. It is incredibly difficult. But often the reasons it's difficult is because we have selected attitudes and behaviors and thinking that worked fine. But God said it's time to move beyond that. I want you to grow. I want you to change and become more like Jesus as you have learned, as you've studied God's word, as you've learned how to worship me. They learned how to follow God in Egypt as slaves, and now God says, okay, now as the people going to the promised land, we got a little training to do. And so he led them. Look at Jeremiah 1.5, another verse to look at the character of God. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. The prophet says, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. See, even as the prophet is prophesying, God is speaking to Jeremiah. If you look at the interaction here, Jeremiah pulls a Moses and says, uh, I really don't think this is it. I don't know that this is me. Paul does it in the New Testament to a degree. 
we often try to convince God, especially in change, that his plan really isn't the best. And often it's because we're discouraged because we don't know God's plan. Somehow we think when we know God's plan that we know how it works out. I had a dream a few weeks ago. I often, like, this is weird, but often in the middle of the night when I have dreams, it's like, oh, that's really goofy, weird, whatever. i got to remember that until Sue's that in the morning. Most of the time I wake up and I'm like, oh, man, I can't remember a single thing. This one I remembered. God had called me and my family away from ECOB to Grove City, Indiana. And it's one of those dreams you wake up and you're anxious. And it's like, so what did I do? I was not even out of bed. I rolled over, grabbed my phone, got on Google Maps. I wanted to know where Grove City, Indiana was. That's how detailed it was. People were coming to our house. There was a little send-off. We had them carry furniture out and they came and visited us. Goofy dream, I know. But anyways, and I'm like, really, God? So I'm looking. There's no Grove City, Indiana. Woo! There's a Grove City, Ohio. There's a Grove City, Pennsylvania. No Grove City, Indiana. But I tell you in that moment, as goofy as it sounds, I'm like, really, God? Come on. And you know why it bothered me so much? Because I have to be obedient. I have to be obedient. So do you. It's not just pastors called into ministry as if there's a special, beautiful thing about that that I absolutely love. But I tell you, God's call in your life, just as Mark and Joy were talking about, is equally as significant and relevant to the kingdom of God. And so when God does things like that, you say no all the while. You're saying, but I, I have to. But I was praising the Lord that day because there was no Grove City, Indiana. Because my plan is, I'll just be up front. My plan is God leaves us here until I retire from ministry. That's my plan. But I know that he may change that. I know. And I know. And much of what I do in ministry in this place means that this church will thrive whether I'm here or not here. Because I'm not the church. We are the church. God is going to lead us through change like he's leading us through right now. I look at some of you have been through so much change in this church. And I'm in awe because God is greater in your eyes than he's ever been. And most of what you've known as Eaton Church of the Brethren, soon to be Eaton Community Church, is different. But your God isn't. Don't be discouraged when you don't know God's plan. You know, Jeremiah writes later in that infamous 2911, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Often we take that and say, okay, so I just need to ask God and then I'll get the plans and then away we go. Yeah, there, we, we have the privilege and honor to go and ask God and seek God and worship Him that. God reveals Himself in that. But I will admit, I will be the first one to admit that I often have my plans laid out and I really hope God blesses them. That's not obedience, that's manipulation. That's worshiping myself and not God. Look at Isaiah 55 here. Another 
another description of God's omniscience, his ability, as well as his, his, his omnipresence, his presence in our lives. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we bring God, and we've said it many a times from this, this platform, is that God is something we try to shape and we try to contain. You, as a human being, I as a human being, cannot know God because he is transcendent. There is so much other about God, but think about that. It should not instill fear like, oh my gosh, so how do I follow him? How do I have faith in him? Recognize he is. He knows. He knows what our minds can't comprehend. God says, I've got it. Be obedient to me. So when you're in the midst of change, it's the character of God as you lean on God and look to God. Young people, it's in those daily decisions as you choose friends. It's in, as you decide to date, how you build boundaries that way. It's in, as you make career and college choices for parents, as we raise our children. It's the decision every day. Am I raising my child to be a little me? Am I raising grandparents, my grandchild, just to spoil them and send them home? I realize that's probably a really good thing. But I love to hear grandparents say, I want to help them become more dependent on God. And there's a uniqueness to that. But it's in those decisions every day. No part of your life is off limits from God. You may think it is. You may have not surrendered it to Him. But the reality is, is every part of your life, God knows. He hadn't thrown you out, and I don't expect Him to. That's not who He is. See, we go to Him and ask Him. We study his word. Instead of approaching a day with, well, what do I want today? What's going what's gonna to make me happy today is, what does God want today? How can I honor God today? I want to look at one last little passage here as we finish up. Move on into chapter 14. Again, there's some details we're leaving out. But I want to hit this section right here in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. So in the meantime, Pharaoh realized that, oh my gosh, we let these people go. That was a dumb thing to do. 600 chariots, suit them up, let's go. Immense number of people. So they're coming upon the Israelites. The Israelites looked up, verse 10, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? How fun is that as a leader to answer that question, huh? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. I don't like that verse. I'm not a good still person. I'm not. Surprise, I know. God, just tell me to do something. I'll do something. Moses said to the people, don't run. Be still. One little neat part about this verse, we tend to look at all the whining going on here. But but look at who they cried out to. Who'd they cry out to? What does it say? 
to the Lord. You know what? You know what's fascinating about this to me? They're learning. They're learning to depend on God. They took it to Moses, God's representative, God's messenger. Sounds appropriate. And Moses says, stand firm. I have this part in my yard. It's out in our walkout area. We've got some large uh, landscaping stones that the previous owner put there. But there's, I don't know if there's a natural spring under there, but it's a wet about all year long out in the walkout. And so if you walk out there, if I drive my mower over it, which I have to do from time to time, is that it, it, is, it is incredibly difficult to not fall down because you just don't know how far you're going to sink in when you step there. It's not firm ground. But if I walk up out of the walkout, I go into the yard, and I go up to where my gravel drive is, it's solid as can be. Think about that in your lives for a moment. Sometimes we make decisions that lead us out into the swampy, messy, sinky ground, and we can't understand why we can't hear from God. We need to make decisions and choices every day, like even coming to worship, worshiping in study and groups. We do that because it puts us on solid ground, which is the character of God. Sometimes I'm afraid we make it way too difficult. We come up with all these grand things that we should do, and God says, get up out of bed, call upon me, listen to me, understand who I am through my word. And be obedient the best you can. That's what it means to stand firm. God did all the work, right? We don't have to save ourselves. He sent Jesus. In fact, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same, you know it, yesterday and today and forever. And your identity is grounded in that because it's grounded in who God is. And so if you're here today and you've not put all of your faith in the unchanging Christ, you are in that wet, soppy water. And you may be able to make it look like you've got a firm footing, but you don't. I had a beautiful conversation with a young man recently who accepted the Lord. And I cannot tell you the joy that the Lord gave me in hearing him talk about what God has done in his life. He doesn't know tons, and he told me that. He said, but Dan, I am in awe. I am in awe that God restored me. And what I said to him is I said, you know what? And no one will take that away from you. No one can, because that salvation is grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and that is eternal. I want to share one last verse with you. I'm not going to talk about it much, but I want to send you forth. I'm going to invite the team up as we close in song. A part of this verse you see every time you walk in and out of this church etched on a piece of glass in the canopy outside. But I'm going to invite you to look at Isaiah 40 with me. And I'm going to invite you to actually stand and I want us to read this together. 
And I want us to consider something as we read this. I want us to consider that maybe as you read this, the Lord continue, continues to help you understand change and walking with change, walking in change with Him. But I also want you to realize in reading this that maybe you are reading it not for yourself, but for the person down the road from you who's here today and is absolutely broken. Because there are days that we come to this church and worship together and it has nothing to do with us except for the fact is that God wants to use us to speak truth into someone's life. So I want you to read this with all your heart and soul. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint.